This is the Aloha Friday podcast. Hey, Naomi, how are you doing today? Doing great. Okay, good. That's good to hear during the middle of our uh, corona lockdown. I have uh, the video from Vanessa Hudgens, which is making the news. Okay. And we are going to listen to the video. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard a little bit about it, but I don't know exactly what she says. We're going to listen to it, and then we're going to talk about it. Okay. All right. Uh, stay tuned. Here we go. Welcome to the Aloha Friday podcast, coming from the Landsberg Law Office in the historic penthouse suite of the Executive Center in downtown Honolulu. Here we talk to the most interesting people we know, from current events to how they got to where they are to how they see the world. And now, your co-hosts of the Aloha Friday podcast, Marcus Landsberg and Naomi Cooper Christensen. Aloha. Um, yeah, till July sounds like a bad idea. I think the smartest thing she said was the end when she said, maybe I shouldn't be doing this right now. <laughs> Oh boy! Well, the amount of likes in there just, <laughs> just made some red flags for me. But you know what? That's okay. We'll run with it. Maybe she had a lot to drink. Who knows? It's quite possible. And I really liked her in the Rent uh, remake. I thought she was very good in the Rent remake. But I like her. I like her. They might have just—they might have just caught her in a moment. You know. Well, it was a Snapchat, Instagram selfie video. Oh, I see. Okay. Where she decided to share with the world that it's inevitable people are going to die. Oh, and so how do you how do you feel about that? Do you feel like uh, we should just be accepting people dying? Well, my strong feeling is that we cannot, even if you know it's coming, I don't think we should accept that people are going to die and therefore we shouldn't change our lives or we shouldn't worry about those people, or we should do whatever we can to minimize those people dying. I mean, uh, that's the real hard part here, I think. Of course. I mean, you never want anyone to have to suffer if it's, if it's stoppable, right? A hundred percent. But, you know, this is a conversation I get into all the time. This isn't strictly about coronavirus, but, um, you know, it, I think the number one, I got to look up the statistic, but I think the number one killer of people in America is car accidents. Oh. Right? Uh, the, the most amount of people who die is in car accidents. And if we really cared, we could reduce that to zero. The problem is it means you just can't drive a car anymore. Right. Uh, and no one agrees that's the answer. Nobody will accept that as the answer. Um. So that's the question. We, as a society, actually choose a number of acceptable deaths for car accidents. Or, you know, what you don't know doesn't hurt you. I mean, I think that's a lot of it, too. I think just people choose to not know everything because it's just too much to bear. Do you think they choose not to know or they just don't know because they got too much else going on? I think it's both. I think it's like everything in life. You know, it's not just coronavirus. It's, I mean, the flu so far has killed more than coronavirus. And my friends who are yeah, doctors. That's a completely unfair comparison when we're it talking is. about the flu has been around for, what, 150 million right. years. 
Right. It's totally unfair. And it's Corona totally unfair. has like 30 days into it. So the whole flu and the coronavirus are, are the same thing. Uh, meme, which is going through society is, I hope it's true. I hope it's true. But, and, and I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to pretend I don't know, but I'm not going to, you know, challenge the people who spend their lives studying this stuff as yet, maybe in three months or six months. But they say in uh, America, in Hawaii, it's supposed to hit in uh, 12 days. Supposed to hit in 12 days? You mean the reality of it or? Yeah. So 12 days from today, we might be up to 11 at the time we're recording this. All right. So right around um, March 29th, March 30th is when we're supposed to see a hospitals being so full that they're telling us um, don't come to the hospital for other things, for example. True. So no, in no way did I mean to insult the, the, um, I don't have a problem with you. Or the the virus. No. It's not the virus. The the virus deserves to be ridiculed. But, (laughs) I mean, even she said she respects the virus, which was kind of (laughs) interesting. It's an odd thing to to say. But I I, I do think there's an issue as far as we can't compare a long-term flu. Well, do you get a flu shot? I do not, but the only reason why I don't is I feel like by the time that I get the flu shot, I, I usually already have had it. You've already had the flu? <laughs> like every year I end up, like I just, uh, I mean, having all the preschool germs just flowing through, it's just like I always end up with it anyway. So by the time I get to it, I've already had a version of it and your immunity does build. You know, and you just, you do, it, it sucks. You go through it and then you just kind of learn how to, how to handle it as it goes. And it's always changing. So I felt like my, it's. My main problem with the flu shot is I, I don't think it generally works. My understanding is if you look at the statistics, it's been over five years when it was been more than 50% successful. Well, and, and because the flu is always changing, that is where I didn't feel like it was viable. I'm not going to force all my kids to have to get another shot when I feel like they're already in the process of, of, <laughs> right. of getting it. And it would be a different thing if he was uh, uh, overly, uh, what do you call it, susceptible, susceptible to germs, if he was more likely to get sick for some reason, yeah. if I was worried about that. Yeah. But So I don't normally get a flu shot. I know my wife, my wife is, she says I'm crazy. She always gets one. Oh, wow. Um, But I just, I just, I just never have. And I don't see why it'd start now, but we'll see if the coronavirus is real. Like, so do you know anybody who's been uh, affected yet as far as infected, I should say? No, um, but I do have some talk from some doctors who said that they don't even allow anyone in their facility to be tested because of the because there's such a, a limited supply of testing material. They are not wasting it on anyone unless they actually seem like they have the seriousness of that. Yeah, unless you're Idris Elba, who got tested and said he had no symptoms, right? All the basketball players who yeah. got tested when they have no symptoms. So right. there's some sketchy stuff going on that we're not being told about. And then uh, in both China and Korea, Korea was drive-through tests. They'd mail you the results in three days, I think. And then in China, they would uh, bring you through in three hours. 
they would bring you through and then make you wait in the other room while you waited for your results. Oh boy, that's scary. Yeah, but, but <laughs> wait in the other room have... with all the other people who might be infected. Like we're gonna I... force you to sit there with them for three hours. <laughs> I don't think it was like those airport pictures coming in out of Chicago where there's a thousand people in a ten oh, foot radius. <laughs> I think it was uh, spread out, I'm assuming. And they had a TV you could watch. But it was that kind of thing where you would know in three or four hours if you had it and if you had to be under a long-term quarantine. So I'm wondering what happens when you do get quarantined. That's a little scary. Like what actually happens in that process? Because I'm sure that we're still in the making of that. And I would just – I would hate for that to be – I mean, you you know, when things are unknown, people just freak out. And that's really what the that's really what the scare is here is that anything unknown. So going back to what you were saying about how. Yes. Um, so w- where we are is you don't know what the quarantine is. It's different for different locations. What I'm hearing recently is they're actually changing the level of protection they're giving nurses largely because they think they might not be able to give nurses the highest level of protection. Right. So there's a difference between uh, droplet protection and airborne protection, right? So they're moving it from airborne to droplet so they can have a, a, a less protection for the nurses, which is crazy. That's not the reason you should change something is because you don't have the material available. You should make the material available so they can be protected. But I know. I, I mean, I kind of feel like there's no, um, there's really no escape right now, right? We're just, we're in kind of a war zone right now where there's no, there's really no knowns. There's nothing known and there's nothing predictable here. And there's really no way to. Well, here's the thing. I believe the reports that are coming out of Italy. I don't have any reason not to believe that. Right. So, so what is it? What is it that's striking you the most? Like, what is the most obtainable belief that you got from this? Well, the scariest thing in Italy is that so many people were sick, so many people went to the hospital that they have to choose between who they're going to treat, and, and that's, that's the scary part. A triage decision, and when you triage, it means someone dies, right? Yeah. So, a triage decision. The easiest way to describe it is something like. Um, if there's three of you hanging off a mountain, right? You're mountain climbing. There's three of you hanging off. Um, would you kill the third person to guarantee the first two safety? Or would you say, well, there's a 10% chance we're all going to live. So we won't kill him. But then there's only a 10% chance you're going to live. And uh, that's I don't know. Human, human error. You human, you human emotions, right? That's really what it comes down to. So the question is, what would you do? Do you do you then um, let the guy like? Do you fight for that last? Like a movie would have you believe you fight for every last chance you get, right? But it's not a movie, and if you're going to kill two people as a doctor, you have to look at it and say, well, I'm going to kill these two, or I'm going to kill one, right? Or all three are going to die anyway because he's still going to die, and that's that's what's happening with it. I think that's really where our greatest survivor skills are not in logic. It's all in how do you make people feel, right? And what are those moments? What do you do in those moments where you might just be living your last moment and you're at the discretion of someone else who, if you can make them feel something for you, 
and you can make them feel something of either guilt or um, connection or a higher purpose with you, well, then that's your greatest survivor skill. It's not going to be whether or not that you are actually content. Yeah. So what ends up happening is what you're seeing in Italy, right? Or at least what's being reported is that you're not getting a chance to talk to the doctor and plead your case. You come in and there's a checklist. And if you have a prior surgery, for example, on a major organ or you're immunocompromised for another reason, you're just in the pile of people standing over to the, the you're on the wrong side of the list. You don't yeah. get to then go, hang on, I have so much to live for. I have some kids I have to save, right? Yeah. I was a good person my whole life. No, it's just sort of whoever has the, I, I think they go with whoever's the youngest and whoever's the least damaged, the comorbid, comorbidity is what they call it. Whoever doesn't have a prior issue going on with their health. I mean, it kind of sounds like dating, you know, you, you go for the one with the least amount of baggage and the least amount of history and the youngest, you know, that's kind or, of, <laughs> or, or do you go for the guy who might be trouble, but may have a 10% chance of having great promise, right? Because everybody tells you stay away from him. Uh, he's no good. He'll be no good for you. He's been trouble every other time, but there's promise there. There's promise. There's wisdom. Or do you go for the sure thing? You go for the guy who's already enrolled in a good school, has a dad who's going to give him a good job when he gets out, but the feeling might not be there. (laughs) I like the way you're able to switch Italian death to, uh, you know, dating. We've got to be positive. I mean, you've got to find the silver lining in this all, right? (laughs) How do we survive this without without some excitement and some, you know... Some good sense. I mean, I think that's where we are. I think that's so. I think that's what's going to end up happening is I'm thinking about ten to eleven days, and uh, I want to say Washington is in eight to nine days. So we have four days from when we start getting reports from Washington, right? Yes. Washington State. So when we start to hear. If Washington State is getting overloaded, I think that's going to affect people here, but it might be too late, and that's what I'm worried about. It might be too late, and I think that's really where it comes down to. I didn't mean it's necessarily the doctors, say. talking about all the people that it takes to get to that point where you even see the doctor. I think there's going to be a lot of people who experience symptoms that will not admit that they are having those symptoms because they're so afraid. Well, you're told not to, right? You're told not to. You're, you're told... Even if you have these symptoms, don't go to the doctor unless you're shortness of breath and you really need to be intubated, uh, having right. a tube stuck down your throat. They, they or, tell you not to go. Yes, or just the, the fear right now, the amount of fear of, oh, no, I might end up quarantined or, oh, no, there's no vaccination anyway. I might as well just live it out the rest of my days with the family that I love. Or if I tell my family, then my whole family is going to lose their job, right? Or if I... Let anyone know, then they'll automatically just cut us off from society. So there's just there's just such a stigma, and I mean it's necessary, but it's also I, f- I mean here we are in your in your this is this is what I feel about uh, about how you treat people anyway. Whenever there's something wrong with them, I mean we we can indeed see them as a threat. Yes, they are a threat if they have this disease, but at the same time we might already be carrying it and we just don't have the symptoms 
that would show us that we're in the same boat as them, but we're on the way. 10 days later, we're going to end up in the same boat as they are. And so I feel like there's such a catch-22 here of how much punishment and um, isolation that we can give these people because, yes, we can isolate them to a point, but if they've already they've already kissed us two days before, if they've already you know, breathed in our cup when they were passing to us, when we bought it from them right. at whatever Starbucks, like it, there's really no way to, to just completely cut yourself off from all these ties in the world that we have. And I think that's what it's coming so, down to is that the world so is just that's smaller. The thing is that you have to decide, honestly, you have to decide who your um, preservation pot is, who is your pot of people who you trust with your life, uh, both if you get sick, but also to stop you from be getting sick. Who do you trust to not be around giant groups of people or not be around sick people? And quite frankly, if you're going to compare it to dating, that to me is the one that's most like dating. That when you sleep with somebody, you're not just sleeping with them, you're sleeping with everybody they've ever slept with, right? Yes. So honestly, when you're going to come to my office to record a podcast and I know that you hung out at a party the night before 200 people. I, I was a huge slut that day. I'm so sorry. I mean, I'm cutting you out of my preservation pot, right? I mean, the 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 amount of uh, the amount of hornish that just <laughs> came with all those people. I mean, <laughs> I do not use that phrase, <laughs> but I'm not someone who likes to argue with a woman. So what I'll tell you is, I got to worry about my family and then who we're with and what we're going to do. So I've taken it on myself, or I'm the one who's going to do the shopping. They're going to stay home. I leave the house. I try and talk to people or whatever. I know I can wash my hands and I'll go in the shower as soon as I get home or wash my clothes quickly. Um, but I have to be responsible for them. And oh, because absolutely. of that, I can't hang out with 201 people. I just, I just don't feel comfortable doing it. Oh, I understand. So my question is, I guess where I'm going with this is, what happens when someone you love does get it? Because that is what is going to be happening soon. It's not that it's going to happen necessarily to you and I, but I mean, the, it could. But what well, is going to be happening to these families? My, my assumption is if someone I love, meaning someone in my house gets it, I'm going to have it. First right. of all, I'll probably have it first. But if the other people in my house get it, that means they probably got it from me. Right. Just the way we live, right? Because I don't let my wife out of the house generally, but especially right now. Yeah. And then the kids aren't going outside. We might take the older kid out to bicycle. But if they catch it, it's probably from me, meaning I had it first, right? Um, so what if, if, what, if so, end up, what if you end up being the one with symptoms? How are you going to expect them to respond to you, like what is what is your game plan if you do end up catching this, and what what do you feel is going to be the next step for your family? I think my wife is going to try and kick me out, but I think she might want to do that anyway, no matter what. But <laughs> if I get sick, I think she might want to kick me out. Uh, right now, I am living in. Uh, we have a two bedroom place, so I live in the other room anyway. Uh, generally. Uh, to go to work and things of that nature. So we'll see if I can talk myself into just staying in this room, but she's got to go through this room to do the laundry, for example. Yes. So, but I don't have another place to go. I guess I could. I mean, I have a place in Waikiki I could go to. Or you could live in your office. I mean, you could stay in your office. Well, the problem is my office, um, the floor I share with some other people, at least two of them are heavily immunocompromised. Mm. 
like one guy's, uh, I mean, I don't want to put their business in the street, but they're immunocompromised. And I don't want to be the one responsible to bring it to them. If I found out that I was sick, I'd probably not go to my office at all, tell you the truth. I guess the real question I have is, like in my household, if one of my kids gets a cold, it's, I mean, there is no question. The other two have it. It's just delayed. It's going to be another eight, 10 days, you know? And that's sort of the way I look at it. So that is what I mean by, that is what I mean by, I don't know if it's necessarily the best thing where we just, we isolate everyone indefinitely. I feel like we're not isolating individual people. You isolate with a group. So the thing is, if I get it, that means they have it, but we're still all together. Yeah. So then the question is, can you save, is it even worth trying to save that family? So that's where I think it's going to get scary. This is what I think is going to get scary when it's like limited supplies and it's limited efforts. Are those doctors really going to be like, Oh, well this person is, um, you know, it's worth saving this one person because they're younger and they have a lot more life ahead of them versus by the way, they also live with 10 other people who probably are all infected. And he's just going to get infected back. Or do I save the one guy that is older, but he lives alone and he has, you know, another few years to invest back into society. Right. So doctors don't get the option to make that choice. It's made. And then you have a checklist of the order you go down. But that's what I mean. If you had to make that choice, they wouldn't be able to live with it on a daily basis. Right. It's pre-made for them. No one gets to argue their case. That is where I think the biggest decisions are not going to be getting to the doctor. It's on the way there. The biggest decisions are going to be in the actual households of where those breakouts happen. Like if you find out it's your kid that has coronavirus, am am I going to actually want them to be, you know, isolated alone and have to go through that alone and go through that fear and that trauma and then oh. possibly just be turned down? Or is it that we're just going to all turn ourselves in together? Or is it going to be that I just ignore it? Not that I would for me, but I'm saying as like, there's many other people that might, there might be people that just ignore it and say, this is, well, there's no way that this is this virus and they're going to be in denial, right? I think those are the decisions that are going to matter the most or the ones that are coming from the immediate household. Well, it's the people who have it and then decide to go out in the street and go handle their business anyway. That's that's what just we have wrong. to worry about. Yes. It is wrong. Uh, I don't think it's a crime. But it's um, – and then there's, you know, uh, there's people who work on commercial fishing boats who probably <laughs> don't check the internet and probably work with people from uh, – China, Taiwan, and places like that who are merchant marines. And they're not reading the newspaper. They're not checking the internet every day to see the death toll. So, and what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to stay on the boat, right? Yeah. They don't have a house here if they get dropped off in Honolulu Harbor. Where are they going to go? They got to go somewhere. Yeah. They don't know. So I, that's going to be also a big issue as well. And then we'll see if the airplanes even keep flying, because if no one's allowed to fly, how do you keep those flying? If no one's allowed to move between state, does the shipping stay? Who knows? Right. And that's, I think, driving the 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 drive for toilet papers. People are scared shipping's going to stop. Yes. Well, I mean, 
goodness. It, I, people talk about how they need to be more sustainable. And here there's been this push on, on being more environmentally friendly. And, you know, how can we get Hawaii to not be dependent on tourism? And here we are at the brink of it. There's no other option right now. We are losing tourism and we're going to be stuck having to be sustainable. I mean, there's there's really no other option right now for well, the next few months. Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll see. So, okay. So this is tonight. What are we? It's St. Patrick's Day, uh, March 17th. We will, did I get that right? And yep. um, we will check in tomorrow or the day after. And if uh, Naomi's still alive, we'll have another conversation. <laughs> and well, customer. neither one of us are out right now on St. Patrick's Day. Neither one of us are out celebrating. So I have a, I have a feeling we have a better survival chance. Well, and the other positive thing is I've been listening very carefully. No one's coughed. No one sneezed. I don't hear a scratchy voice. <laughs> um, I totally woke up sick this morning. I totally thought I had it. And then oh, I no. realized I probably ate some bad food yesterday. I ate some food. I was fine. And I never okay. had a fever. So, um, but I woke up. I was dying. I think I had some bad food. And I wanted to throw up. I couldn't. Wow. And I want to end this podcast on me wanting to throw up and we couldn't. So our last recording was all about where to urinate. <laughs> this one, I'm going to close up with a different bodily function, throwing up and then uh, tune in to our next podcast to figure out which uh, disgusting bodily function we discuss next time. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, thank you for your time, Naomi. That's the Aloha Friday podcast. Thank you guys very much for listening. <laughs>